we'll go live. Three, two. Welcome to the Ephesiology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the study of the early Christian movement and its implications for the church today. Today, though we are missing Matt Till, the lead pastor of Restoration Church in the suburban sprawl of Chicago, Illinois, we are with Michael, our our resident ephesiologist. I'm Andrew Johnson, associate pastor at Neartown Church in Houston, Texas, and we have a very special guest with us today, Brad Watson. Now, Brad uh, serves as an equipping leader at SOMA in Culver City, Los Angeles, where he develops and teaches leaders to form communities that love God and serve the city. He is the author of multiple books, including Sent Together, How the Gospel Sends Leaders to Start Missional Communities, as well as two, when I say Bible studies, it's over two different books of the Bible, one over Jonah and one on Ephesians. Brad, welcome. We are glad you are here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, So for starters, for people who are not affiliated with you and only know what I just told them, who are you? And, you know, give us a quick one minute rundown of Brad Watson and what you're doing. Yeah, one minute. I'm uh, I'm a son of a missionary and pastor and the grandson of a missionary and pastor. I grew up in Western Europe uh, in Lisbon, Portugal. That's actually where my wife is from. So she's Portuguese and uh, we have three kids and we've lived in Los Angeles for three years. Before that, uh, we planted a church in Portland uh, for nine years and then moved down here to join this church, uh, provide some apostolic leadership and help see many churches started from from this one yeah and culver city a lot of times people think that's a suburb it's actually this cool thing that la does where uh, if you're a movie studio you can make your own uh town and so culver city is where mgm uh used to be uh which is now sony pictures so that's most of the people in our church are in the entertainment industry and culver city is halfway between downtown la and the coast so and nothing no (laughs) and nothing and then the water but now it's mostly just people walking around aimlessly six feet apart complaining that they can't you know do brunch (laughs) anymore so wow well Uh, michael what were you about to ask him well yeah so just before we came on the air you were talking about uh your context there and the events, of course, surrounding this crisis that we're all experiencing. And you came on uh, sharing with us not some, uh, not very good news for where mm. you are. To tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, we, we just found out that uh, they're going to be extending the stay-at-home order for three more months, uh, which is just so much longer than we thought. So that still can't have people over, can't do any normal life things. And that's, yeah, that's just such a, just a family-wise, a bummer. We're just now thinking, like, do we just move to Montana? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but uh, and, uh, my wife has been poking. She's like, if you're just going to be a virtual pastor anyway, why don't we just live uh, wow. in the middle of nowhere? But, so what does that do to a person with an apostolic gifting? What does it do? Uh, I've been very excited, mostly, about... The, the opportunity to shift and see the church operate differently. Uh, our church is made up of missional communities. We have two uh, gatherings, one in Culver City, one in Venice Beach, uh, 10 missional communities. 
Um, and I've been excited about, wow, we could really even have more freedom than, than normal to, to tear away some of the things that probably could potentially hinder us. I'll be careful, but, uh, yeah, on, but I, I've been really excited and, and even we've, uh, you know, try to do what Paul did and, uh, teach people day and night, the, the things of, of the gospel and how the gospel is missional and puts people, uh, you know, being sent out into all sorts of places. And so we've been doubling down on that and our, something we call city seminary. Mm. Uh, so getting to spend a ton of time with leaders and then those leaders aren't at the same time thinking through, Oh, how am I supposed to lead worship on Sunday or, um, any of those funny things. So it's been kind of cool. I would say that's kind of my double down question. I wanted to see what more, you might uh, fill this with, um, so pairing it now with the increasing sadness <laughs> of, of 12 more weeks of this in LA County. Um, so pairing that exact feeling with what are some of the massive benefits, like missional benefits that you have seen at, solely as a result of the COVID crisis hitting you and hitting y'all and us? Oh, yeah. I think especially yeah only i guess speak for here but it's been a remarkable opportunity so la is a very busy fast-paced place um we've lived in our house here for a year i've only met a couple of our neighbors before this happened because of people's busyness including our own and now i've had like shared the gospel with three or four neighbors that i didn't even know uh eight nine weeks ago and most of that comes about with people just talking about suffering and pain and just kind of knowing like, well, I know you're a pastor. Like, um, I bet you help people a lot with darkness and their personal demons. Yeah. I, you know, try, I mean, I don't really help them. Like I think Jesus does. And so I try to remind them about who Jesus is. Oh, like what would you do if someone was, suffering and their loneliness how would you you know and they're basically just asking people yeah can you tell the gospel to me uh and so i see that a lot uh as well as um there's a huge you know financial disparity in our city uh where people live in poverty and wealth uh right up against each other and uh seeing our church being able to care for needs whether it's single moms to live outside, uh, doing grocery shopping for them, um, taking care of people's bills. Uh, on the day that everything got shut down, uh, I, re- I remember it vividly because I was going to watch the Lakers, but they, uh, so sorry. Yeah, it was sad, but the bigger, the bigger losses are my missional community. We had, uh, we have eight families in it. Half of them lost their job like oh. just that day, uh, mm-hmm. because, yeah, just because they can't, you know, you can't go to a movie studio and, and do that stuff uh, and or be a photographer, any of those sorts of things. And so a lot of people lost their jobs and and kind of the display that people around us uh, get to see is a, a people that are being cared for and their needs are being met and that there's not need amongst us uh, becomes really visible and, and tangible. So it's yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. neat. That's neat. So yeah. how would you, I mean, leading into COVID, how would you describe where you guys were as a church? And have you been on kind of the same trajectory or did you see that this was a, a blip in the road 
uh, but now you're back to kind of uh, doing what the church was doing. Mm. Yeah, I think this year we were, yeah, I think we were kind of, we were thinking through a lot about reestablishing, especially the Culver City group of missional communities. And we're looking to start a new uh, gathering of of our missional communities in the South Bay, which is the the traditional beach cities of of LA, Redondo and Hermosa, uh, the -hmm. ones people have heard of, (laughs) surfing towns. Uh, yeah. We have many people that are down there and uh, we're, we're like hoping we to start a new uh, gathering point there and as well as establishing this Culver city, this hub church. Uh, and it's interesting when all of this happened, we, I think for a lot of us felt like a huge, like, you know, blip in the road of like, wow, what are we supposed to do? Like, were we just like missing out on what God had called us to do and, and all of those things. Uh, but then since then, I think we, what we really begin to realize is our leaders are really incredible. You know, these people, have, some of which lost jobs, some haven't, uh, but they're just incredible shepherds and care for the people in their communities really well, really care about the mission. And so now we're kind of seeing it as, I think God's kind of accelerated the, the missional heart for our church. And so mm-hmm. even yesterday, I was kind of making a, a plan for what do we do through the phases that the governor outlined of, of reopening. And uh, the last phase for us was going to be, well, we're going to sit back and listen to the Holy spirit on what he's actually done during this. Cause maybe, maybe there'll be new churches started or new communities started that we, that are not even on the map. So let's not assume, Oh, let's just, we just want to wait until the governor says we can. And then we're going to meet like we always have. Um, what if what if God's done something else in the in the time, in the in the cocoon time? I guess is what it feels like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. But it, tell us. I, I'm curious. I don't know that much about your church there. Um, uh, do you have a building? Um, are Are you seeing that impacted? If you do, by the this pandemic, we don't. We don't have a building. We you don't we have a building. No. So we actually, that, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, no, I, so, I'm just, I'm fascinated because, uh, well, I'm not fascinated because you don't have a building. I'm fascinated because <laughs> what you're describing are similar experiences that others are having that don't have a building. Mm. They haven't had this kind of uh, albatross, if you will, uh, mm. hanging onto them. And it's been freeing, almost liberating that they mm-hmm. can now, you know, not be concerned with all of the uh, th- things that have to go on to keep that building maintained and and uh, right. functioning and utilized and and they go on and gosh, it sounds like the Lord is uh, blessing y- your missional communities and uh, so yeah, so that's that's fantastic. Yeah, that that's fascinating. Yeah, I haven't. It's it's it definitely feels freeing, even as we so we're not allowed to meet in our place indefinitely uh mm-hmm. even we got notice uh even a week before they shut things down that they weren't going to let us meet there anymore and then two days ago you know they're not going to let us move move back in or, or have services there afterwards mm-hmm. either but there's something really freeing in that knowing uh 
you know, by God's grace, we have a few people that have large houses and, uh, and if we can only get groups of 50 or less together anyway, like we could probably do that and, yeah. and bless that we live in beautiful Los Angeles. Yeah. The weather Outside still all the time. thumbs up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unless it gets below 60 and then we're all wimps here and we're like, it's too cold. No. Like, so like today I'm wearing my thickest hoodie and it's, I think it's 65. Yeah. Brother. So this is the hilarity that we were all joking. We were like, Oh, you know, this is going to be great in Houston because it's the same way, you know, the weather is great this time of year Yeah, and it is. And it's wonderful. And, uh, and everyone was like, this is going to be great. And, you know, we'll continue just doing this virtual deal and encouraging people missionally. And then, you know, when things are starting to open up, then we'll start meeting and in parks and backyards. And I was like, yeah, in the hell of summer, (laughs) like when when it's 110 with humidity, I don't think so. No one's doing that here. No one wants that. No, that's so encouraging that um, I think for people (laughs) that we have talked to, Brad, and that that I have even as, as friends, it seems that this entire thing has been a disruption. As Michael was talking about, there was what ministry and... Um, the way things were, were going in one direction. And then there's been this massive disruption and people have been able to re-engage missionally. And it's encouraging to hear and talk to somebody who's like, well, we actually did kind of have a decent direction of where we wanted to go, but the disruption has only just brought a, a focus into that. It's, uh, it's helped streamline it. And so you guys weren't totally thrown for a loop. Um, it's a, it seems like you guys were a little bit, um, mobile. Am I hearing that right about kind of how, how you guys are going and where you're going? Yeah, I think so. I think it is, uh, I think we're, we're very mobile, uh, or anti-fragile if you will, in just terms of like, oh yeah, we can take these, these sort of knocks because our church isn't really built around our Sunday our Sunday thing or getting people mm. to come on Sundays. though. So, I would say that the temptation is and has always been that like, well, let's do Sunday really well if we're going to do Sunday. And then now it's like, Oh, we don't, I don't have to put any energy into doing Sunday really well. Uh, now we just put all of our energy into leadership development uh, is kind of what, wow. what, what we've been doing. And, and we create weekly home worship guides for people to work, walk through and most of our missional communities meet together and do them on zoom uh, and we do have short sermons that we share, but it's, it's minimal, minimal cost uh, you, time-wise. What you describe sounds suspiciously like the New Testament. <laughs> I know, which is inspiring. Uh, even for me, it's like, oh, this doesn't feel that, that terrible. It, it even feels like a, a relief. And, and I think even though, so our church has always been structured differently. The church in Portland that we planted was structured uh, differently than the traditional church, more like the New Testament, hopefully. But there's always just this deep, at least for me, a temptation to compare myself to peers or what other people get to experience. And you're like, oh, it'd be cool to not, you know, uh, it'd be cool to just have a church office and uh, and a yeah. secretary. And all I need to do is prepare a sermon uh, once a week and show up to a few meetings. That sounds like a really beautiful, wonderful life. And that's, I don't know if you're that into Eugene Peterson, but that's always been my 
Tarshish, you know, like, oh yeah, the comfortable, beautiful life where you just sit around. Um, mm. So it is, it is encouraging in this time to realize, no, that's, that's actually what we have been doing is, is not just beneficial or weird, but it's, it's quarter like what the church is probably called to be. Yeah. So you, um, last year released a study of Ephesians and to release a study of Ephesians, you have to probably spend a lot of time in Ephesians. And Mm so I kind of wanted to ask you, the writer of a study on Ephesians and our resident (laughs) Ephesiologist, um, what would you guys say is, what do you see in Ephesians? Just a few quick hits. I know this could, we all don't have enough time to answer this fully, but what are some of the the big things that you see in Ephesians that God has intentionally placed there to equip the church to succeed during a crisis like COVID? It's mm. a great question. I'm intimidated to, to answer in a podcast about Ephesians. So <laughs> you can be assured that the people listening are as goofballish as I am and as academic and wonderful as the two of you. So oh, great, great. That's awesome. And, and everything in between. That's really good. Yeah. Well, hey, you're our guest, uh, the Brad, so I'm going to let you go first. Oh, Sacrifice that's, that's, you first. And, and, that's and if, you, if you give good answers, I'm just going to agree. Yes. It's my that favorite sounds, too. That, that sounds really good. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, I guess I have two kind of big thoughts on it. One is the case that Paul makes, especially in the first I don't know, dozen or two dozen verses about uh, just the the power of Christ and the overwhelming blessing that it is that, that Christ rose from the dead and, and who we are and all of this, you know, remarkable stuff that we write on coffee mugs and all of that, all of that goodness. Uh, but I think for me, at least the center of all of that uh, is that the great power that we have, the mighty strength, mm-hmm. uh, is the resurrection of, of Jesus. And I think uh, the, the reality of a global pandemic, or I think for many people right now, a global depression like we've never seen before, financial economies crashing and falling, um, even huge nations that were incredibly wealthy uh, with their crude oil that now is worthless. And uh, I mean, you, you definitely feel like a tumultuous time uh, even if it's if there's not a fear of getting sick, uh, and th- I think that the church should be equipped as people with incredible hope and resolve. It's not blind or, or wishful thinking, but I think uh, the letter of Ephesians just reminds us uh, we've we've got the power to overcome death itself. So um, we we can embrace we can embrace anything and be people people of of incredible blessing and hope and love to those around us because uh, Jesus rose from the dead uh, and that power has been placed within us. And, and that the power of the, the Christian community is a, is a resurrection power. Um, I think, and hopefully, yeah, I would, yeah, I'd love to see the church begin to believe that, you know, I think, um, I think that's one of the hindrances that we have now I'm on a soapbox, but we're, we're really like cross centered culture right? Uh, which is great. The cross of Jesus is, you know, fantastic. Uh, I don't want to take on John Stott or anything like that. But if like the, the resurrection uh, 
gives us um, just a lot of power and a lot of hope uh, for for daily life. And I think that if as American evangelicals we were much more of a resurrection people, I think you would see us be uh, less fearful uh, and less shaken by fear. I think even some of the the trenches that we fall into are motivated by fear, uh, believing that this world and this life is all that we have. And so we need to make the most of it. And essentially we're functional atheists, whereas the resurrection just completely uh, overwhelms those fears. So that, that's one of the main things I think. Wow. Yeah. That, I, I love that. I mean, that's, I think you're spot on where, and I agree with you, the cross is absolutely essential, but so is the resurrection. So, mm-hmm is the birth of Christ. So is yeah. life. Yeah, you have to hold them all together. Yeah. 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 And there's such hope in, in all of that. And uh, in times like we're in, uh, I mean, it really is that resurrection hope that uh, yeah. should be inspiring us in spite of the threat of death, uh, in, in spite of whatever consequences might befall us in terms of, uh, potentially becoming ill, uh, mm. there's a hope, right? That we have yeah. in Ephesians four, one hope, mm-hmm. uh, one calling, uh, one faith, one baptism, one Lord. Uh, yeah, yeah, good. That's good stuff. I know that Michael, you said this right at the beginning of all of. I keep calling it like the COVID craziness, um, <laughs> and like my description of this season. It's just weird. Everything is weird, and uh, but something you said, and Brad, you've you've now echoed it, and unknowingly, is is how much this crisis has revealed the fears that actually dominated our lives as Christians, mm-hmm. and not ones yeah. that we had actually brought to Jesus and said, "Thank you for killing these fears mm-hmm. and giving <laughs> us hope." In fact, we were still living out of that fear, you mm-hmm. know, and and I don't. I certainly agree with you. A lot of Christians in many aspects of our lives were functional atheists. Like mm-hmm. we are confessional Christians and, and we, will, we will be able to espouse to you all the glorious aspects of Ephesians. You know, we will break this book down. Uh, we have <laughs> been through so many reform studies over just chapter one. You know, it could take a year for us to go through. And yet when it comes to living out of that resurrection faith, we respond to it with fear and and so our idols are being exposed and uh i have i have been very encouraged by michael's um crying out of that truth we've got Mm. to look into that that hope that we have in christ we've got to look into this as resurrection people serving a resurrected lord um Mm -hmm. and not people who actually are walking around like we're defeated totally yeah, so, which, yeah. Mm. which I think is what he means when he says live a life worthy of the calling, mm-hmm. you know, live a life worthy of the, this resurrection of this calling to know the heights and the depths of God's love. This, um, yeah, to, yeah, mm-hmm. to walk in the, the peace of Christ. And I think, yeah, if you can look at how we've been living and see like, I don't know if we've been living worthy of our calling. And I know that that, that can get into a lot of uh, feelings of, of guilt for people, which I hope it doesn't spur that on. I think, I think what Paul is really more doing is coming alongside and, and urging us like, 
a brother who might call you and say, let's go hike the top of this mountain because it's glorious and the sunset will be incredible and we can, and we can smell the fresh air and it's, it's just going to be this extraordinary life. Like come, I think that's why he's saying he's urging us to live a life that's just really worthy of the resurrection because it, it truly is the best life. And so there shouldn't be, there's no guilt associated with that. It's just, I think he's beckoning, beckoning us into something extraordinary that I think, like you're saying, we've just kind of settled for managing our fears or anxieties or, or managing church as usual or business as usual, which I think is, I think Jesus just has so much more for us than that. My phrase the last few weeks has been, um, I stole it obviously from C.S. Lewis, but um, we as individuals, we as churches, uh, little C churches, and I think we as the big C church have been tried and found wanting um, <laughs> during this season. But I appreciate your word is that it's let's not stay there. <laughs> let's not stay there and wallow in it and let us yeah. not and not say, oh, woe is us. But instead to say, yeah, that's an accurate verdict. <laughs> mm-hmm. And now what do we do? Yeah. How do we live into this? Yeah. 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 I, you know, as I think about that question that you, you asked uh, a moment ago, Andrew, in terms of what does Ephesians teach us uh, or what might it show us in, in this time of crisis? I, and this is something that we talk so often about is the, the theocentric nature of what Paul writes. Um, you know, I talk about the 133 times that he talks about uh, God in Ephesians. And, uh, and it's just so, you just can't help but to see how theocentrically myopic Paul is. And, uh, and that, I, I think that drove him. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. I think it absolutely drove him that his eyes were set on who he was in, in Christ. Uh, his eyes were set on the mission that was before him. And he inspired others to join with him uh, in spite of the hardship and the suffering that they might go through. Um, but I think it's that having our eyes off of ourself uh, that I love and what Paul is writing uh, mm. and fixing our eyes on what it was that God did. He's the one that has given you every spiritual blessing. He's mm-hmm. the one who has adopted you. He's the one who has uh, chosen you. He's predestined you for this wonderful mission of joining with him uh, to unite all things in Christ. And so it's really in Paul's mind, it's all about God and Mm -hmm. taking our attention off of ourselves and understanding that there, he is something greater. And as we focus on him, uh, then, uh, then, you know, these other things become distractions uh, or they could potentially become distractions if we don't focus on him. Yeah. Um, and and uh, as we are focusing on him, when we walk through a crisis like we're walking through, it becomes an opportunity uh, to continue on God's mission because that hasn't changed. You know, before mm-hmm. COVID-19, we had the same mission. And while we're mm. in COVID-19, we're on that same mission. And that mission will be the same once we get on the other side of this crisis. Absolutely. Three months. Six months, three, whenever it is lifted. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, we don't, yeah, we don't expect to be able to meet in groups 
without restrictions for over a year. So I think that's, yeah, I think, yeah, but the, I think I take such deep encouragement from the fact that the mission of God hasn't changed. Amen. And and I think that if if you're looking at your church or even your own life and you're like, oh yeah, I can't do mission right now. I think then what mission did you have? Yeah. What, what mission were you participating in? Because I, I just take mm. so much encouragement from the fact that the church globally, uh, even now and before COVID mission was going forward in places where there were all sorts of obstacles, uh, financial, medical, you know, <laughs> basic, uh, infrastructure, yet the gospel is continuing to move forward all through history that's happened. Uh, and I think what we see right now is for the first time that the church in America is actually suffering uh, collectively uh, in a way that we we hadn't before. Um, it, it almost kind of reminds me, like we're sharing a, a common grief um, for an extended period of time that we can't just get over. Um, and I think that that's, yeah that the mission can move forward and it will. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you, and you wonder, and I, I mean, this isn't probably the place to talk about it, but I'll just pitch it out there and see if anybody takes a swing at it. But you wonder if, you know, the pain that we're feeling, the suffering, the grief that we're feeling, uh, this sense of hardship of what we're going through, if that might not be, uh, as much of a, re- of a result of not only COVID and the devastation that it's taking on and the disruption that it's having in our lives, but uh, could it also be an indication that we've lost our focus uh, on who God is and what his mission is, that, yeah. that, we're, that the things that we're really suffering about are the things that God is showing us, you know what, you don't really need these things. Well, that's, it's, no, we can take this on. I mean, Michael. those idols, those idols that yeah. you're talking about, Andrew. Well, because this, what, what is a refining fire? A refining fire takes away the impurities. When, when that dross comes to the surface, it has to get cleaned away. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how much of what we considered mission what we considered valuable, what we considered good ministry was actually dross. Hmm. And the refining fire on the church in America, again, not going to throw barbs globally. That's not fair. I'm not there. I'm here. And I know that we've got a lot of dross. And that through this refining fire, God is helping us see, again, that, that, that myopic focus straight on to God, that theocentric myopathy um, is a good thing and we need it. And we've got to pull away those other things that are keeping us from him and keeping us from that mission and distracting us from what is good, what is whole, what is life-giving, what is, what is right and proper for resurrection people serving a resurrection Lord. Like it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, Brad, my, my question to you, again, you can only answer in your own context, um, even though you're very well connected kind of in the Northwest area and throughout the nation, how have you seen not just your church, but the churches of LA kind of both bond together and see how can we move the church forward missionally? arm in arm or have you seen it like how have you seen the churches the the 
the larger church of LA respond to this? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think um, there's been a, a few ways. I, there was this big movement around Easter for people to share their stories on Instagram. Uh, it became even, I think, a national, international thing uh, that was led by one of the churches here in our city, Reality LA, which which is a great, great church. Um, and then I think, uh, you know, beyond that, uh, I think it's pastors are getting on the phone a lot more than they ever have before. Leadership teams getting on the phone with each other, talking about how they're doing and, and what what's going on with them and, and checking in on them in that way. Uh, I have, you know, just outside of LA, just I've heard some remarkable stories. Yesterday, I was talking to three churches in Japan who uh, are all part of the, uh, you know, similar movement as, as our church. And they've, you know, been in relationship with each other for a long time, these three different churches. And now because of COVID-19, they've decided to just, why don't we do the same liturgy all together? And why don't we, you know, why don't, why don't our musicians write songs together? Why don't, why doesn't our leadership development all become the same thing? Uh, which I think is unbelievable, especially in, in Japan, a place where uh, such a tiny percentage of people believe in Jesus. And, and even heard stories of, uh, there's a, a church in LA, one of the connections that I have with Japan, uh, has sent two different people, uh, families to Japan during this crisis. Which really? Unbelievable, yeah. Mm-hmm. Who, who moved there in, in March and in April uh, to be part of these churches and help lead them. And I think that that's just, uh, I guess, a, a picture of the resurrection hope and uh, hopefully the, the church giving itself to, to others. Um, one of the things that we think about a lot is, in the and I think in crisis you begin to realize what churches are good at. You know, like I know that that happened uh, during the hurricane in Houston. You know, you realize yes, like, this church has a huge building and this church has a bunch of volunteers and this. You know, and and you begin to piece together the if our our city's in crisis, so why don't we all do what we're good at instead of everyone doing their own thing? Uh, which is, I, I, yeah, I just think that's a beautiful mm. picture. Yeah, man, that's so encouraging. Do you, yeah. do you have, are you more hopeful for what God is doing right now in LA as a result of this? Are you more hopeful for what he's doing in other churches? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think for, for years, you know, you pray for the idols to come down, right? Like uh, in a city as well, like Los Angeles is, I don't know, the poster child for materialism, for injustice, uh, for uh, a hurried life that just gets spent without you being aware of it. Uh, people super prideful and overconfident. And to see just in the course of a few days, the whole city come to its knees uh, in one way or another, mostly not crying out to God, but at least they're they're aware that the other things that they're putting their hope in aren't really going to do it. So I think that's that to me has been very exciting. Um, And I think that those moments of fear and anxiety that our cities faced will not disappear when, when things open up again, that, that, that kind of moment I think stays with you. Um, And so I'm really hopeful for that. I think in the same way, the church in LA is, um, yeah, I think that there's a lot of opportunity there. 
uh, as well as I think one of the hard sections of our city, most of the Christians in our city are uh, Asian American churches, Hispanic churches, and African American churches. Most of the Christians fall into one of those categories. Uh, and I know that it's uh, talking to pastors. That's been a very big challenge because of access to um, technology and financial uh, costs, uh, also higher rate of those churches having to do funerals virtually and, and those mm. sorts of things. Um, and I hope that that's a, uh, I hope that in that, in that suffering, there's, there's a bonding and a, and a greater unity as well. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Any, any sense of how those churches are doing through this time? Yeah, I've, I've heard a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, just great stories of people uh, trying to give uh, tablets or iPhones to people who don't have access to them. Um, I think also that what I've, I've heard through, um, especially in Hispanic churches that I'm connected with, uh, just the old fashioned prayer chain of someone calling someone, then they have to call another person, they have to call another person uh, to check in and to care for each other. And I think too, in um, you can get yeah, we could go deep into the, you know, the theology born out of a marginal community, uh, mm-hmm. but a, a, com- a church community that's used to suffering, I think, is has a lot more courage because they know that God dwells with them in the suffering, and so they know that there's no suffering that's too big for God not to not meet them in, and so I hear about those churches uh, excelling in ways that that us mostly Anglo churches do not. So, um, yeah. So like in our church, this is, you know, people have never faced financial uncertainty before. So it's, it's shocking. Uh, but for, for others, it's like, no, we always face financial uncertainty. Yeah. Mm. So, Mm. and we always trust God. So there, there you go. Yeah. I mean, it's such a beautiful thing to hear the fact that, even though we have, as Anglos, have long since needed to learn from others who don't look like us, I appreciate that some of this time is kind of forcing some of those conversations as well. Um, Because we were under the false assumption that we were superior, and now we're coming to grips with the fact that we've all been on common ground the whole time (laughs) and uh, uh, needing to listen, needing to learn. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think it also, you know, you talk about the dross that it exposes some of the most anxiety that I hear uh, from pastors or leadership, church leadership people is, uh, is from large mega churches um, who, who, who for the long time, I think in America, we kind of uphold, unless your church is a thousand people or more, your church is small. And the way we use small uh, is, usually to mean less value, right? right. Uh, and when you actually look at, you know, all of, yeah, global church, but even if you just take North American churches, the average church size is 75 people. And so if your church is 75, you're not small, you're average. Uh, but but I, anyway, I think what I see a lot is these average size churches of 75 people or so are actually doing really well because of the relational connection, the care for needs and the access. But then I think larger churches are having to spend uh, thousands of man hours to try to keep connected um, these other people and then track YouTube views 
and watch the views go down as this continues and watch people's engagement disappear after six minutes and all of that stuff uh, could fill you with anxiety unless you know, mm. you know, you're 75 people and you're actually a pastor of a flock uh, on a team instead of, you know, an executive production board. So, uh, wow. Well, that's, <laughs> that'll that's preach. your churches. I don't know. I'm sorry. No. Yeah, no, I, that's, <laughs> I mean, you've described uh, the significant part of the church culture, I think, uh, today. But Man, that's so good. Well, Brad, um, thank you so much for your time today. Like, I feel absolutely encouraged and blessed by what God is doing in and through you um, and how he has, you know, in an Esther-like way, placed you in L.A. for such a time as this. Um, to be used by him and as, as an encouragement for others. Um, how, I mean, so we're recording this May 12th, 12th. That's today's date. Mm-hmm. It's not airing May 12th. So, um, with that in mind, Brad, um, how can our listeners be praying for you and for your ministry? Yeah, I think, uh, I think pray for, you can always be praying for my family and my kids that, uh, yeah, we're continue my wife that we continue to, to seek God and find God in the middle of everything. Uh, but then also for us as a, a leadership team, as a church, we have to continually make difficult decisions, uh, to, to care for people, but also for long-term mission critical things. And, um, yeah, that'd be, that'd be a prayer. And then I think too, just, yeah, there's no time like uh, like the present to pray for revival in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And I think um, a lot of people don't uh, understand the city that I live in, uh, which is, it's a weird, very weird city. Uh, and it's and it's not very attractive. So uh, I, I, but I just, yeah, if your listeners could pray for our city to experience revival and renewal, that'd be, that'd be a wonderful thing. That's awesome. Well, thank you for your time. How can folks connect with your work and all the things that God is doing in and through you? Yeah, you can um, connect. Uh, SaturateTheWorld.com is a great place to connect to things that I write or uh, my podcast, um, several other really great resources. There's a ton on there about how to uh, be a disciple in the everyday stuff of life and to see the church be more than Sunday and see the gospel be bigger uh, as well and better than anything else in this world. So that's saturatetheworld.com. You can also follow me on, on Twitter. Uh, if you're into those tweets, uh, it's Brad you, A. Watson is my Twitter handle. So, And if you love Laker content and LeBron content, then go follow him on Twitter. And if you want to pick a fight <laughs> like I do with Brad occasionally regarding the NBA, uh, please do. It's just, it's lively content. It's the best when you see like pure golden heart of God missional communities content that's just in line with everything that you've read from Jeff Vanderstelt and everything that God is doing in the Saturate community, followed by a tweet about LeBron that just, if you are, uh, I don't want to say anti-LeBron because LeBron is a human. I am not against this human. I'm just... I'm a Pacers fan, so I'm not a LeBron fan, and <laughs> and so you know it it's 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 what Twitter is good for, is that is that interaction with others, and, a, and right. a good exchange of ideas. 
<laughs> it is a good exchange of ideas. Yeah. <laughs> some oh, good, some ill. Uh, but again, thank you so much, Brad. Uh, yeah, we've thanks, been glad Brad. to have you. Um, we invite you, our listeners, to be a part of this growing physiology global community. Whether you're an academic, a pastor, a church planter, a leader, a mentor, or a spirit-filled Christ follower with a desire for God's mission in the world, no matter where you are, we have a seat at the table for you. So three easy ways you can be a part of the physiology community. Subscribe to the physiology podcast in whatever your pod loader is and leave us five star rating and review. You can go over to aphesiology.com and sign up for our free exclusive content delivered from us into your email. No, we are not going to spam you. And, uh, and then join the ongoing conversation on our Facebook page by searching Ephesiology. So for Matt, Michael, and myself, and Brad, thanks for doing theology in community with us today on the Ephesiology Podcast.